Hi, and welcome to the Wires Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Crystal Fault, I'm the editor of the Toolkit. And my guest today is writer-director Lulu Wong, talking about her film, The Farewell. And today's podcast is brought to you by MTV Documentary Films, which presents St. Louis Superman, winner of the Audience Awards at Traverse City and AFI Docs Film Festivals. Uh, St. Louis Superman is one of the most acclaimed documentary shorts of the year. Bruce Franks Jr., a 34-year-old Ferguson activist and battle rapper, is elected to the overwhelmingly white Republican Missouri House of Representatives. As he overcomes personal trauma and political obstacles, Franks fights to protect his children and the future of his community. St. Louis Superman, for your consideration. I got to see this film. I keep hearing about this one, and now it's uh, been shortlisted uh, for Best Doc Short, so I got I to gotta catch up with this one because I think it's probably going to get nominated, too. Um Okay, let's talk about uh, The Farewell is Lulu Wong's semi-autobiographical film about her family's journey back to China um, to say goodbye to her grandmother, but also their decision to uh, not tell her grandmother that she's dying of cancer. And one note, there is a reveal at the very end of this film about Lulu's real-life grandmother. I, I really don't know how much of a spoiler it is at this point. Um, you know, the film was a huge hit this summer. Um, but, uh, you know, but warning, it's something that we talk about here. So, uh, so you've been warned. Yeah, when this happened to me being a filmmaker, of course, my first instinct was to make it into a film. Um, but it, it took some steps. It took some time to really, I want to say, almost um, cleanse my perspective of how to approach the story. Because, you know, I, I realize now, more in retrospect, that I've spent most of my life and my career compromising my perspective in order to fit in and it was never a question of do I compromise it was how much do I compromise and still keep the integrity of what it is that I want to say and then oh wait a second what is it that I want to say you know and so I think when I started pitching the story um and I had a script I I almost uh instinctively knew that it was going to get pushed back and that people were going to say it wasn't an American film, that I couldn't have it subtitled. Uh, and so I started trying to write versions that were a little bit compromised, but ultimately was still my vision. And it's hard to detangle all of that, you know, because then you kind of go, well, what was my idea and what are ideas that I'm having? Because I know this will help get the film made. It's almost hard to just kind of approach the work purely, you know, because as a filmmaker, like, you know, our screenplays don't really exist or don't get seen, you know, without the movie. So you can spend forever, and writers know this, like writing something that never gets made. And the intent is just to get the thing made. So, you know, I... I think that was the biggest challenge was writing these different versions and still not having it, you know, get set up. And <laughs> there's one thing about that. I imagine, I don't know this, but I meant there is, um, there's a little bit of, I don't, there's a comic element to your film or how you use a certain a sense of comedy here in a very unique way, a very subtle way. I'm assuming some of what you're talking about is trying to, how can you take this story that happened to you and maybe put it into a more Hollywood comedic premise or a premise that, um, not a premise, but a, a kind of a story that 
kind of fits maybe something that they're used to making is that is that to a certain degree where that what they saw in in your film yeah i think nobody wants to make a depressing chinese grandma movie in chinese that's not the the log line (laughs) yeah right you know (laughs) i just i think um and and you know honestly it's not like i was approaching this as a drama either but i just i knew that it was funny and i my work tends to be funny but it wasn't the kind of funny maybe that they were expecting and it seemed like so by the way one thing I would say, and I didn't read the script, but just having watched the movie again last night, I'd bet that comedy in a lot of cases isn't in the dialogue or on the page. Exactly. It's it's, it's in your camera and your approach. And so there's also that, I imagine. You can't put in parentheses, by the way, this will be fun. You know, there'll be humor here, you know. Exactly. No, I mean, I see the audience as, you know, me or some um, third person who's in the back corner kind of in the room going this is ridiculous this is funny this is you know you see it in context it isn't funny because somebody falls down there's not slapstick it's yeah it's not in the dialogue so trying to convince people um that's actually going to be very funny and they're like no 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 i think you should have this character say x y and z let's punch it up you know let's do a joke pass and how do you convince them how do you, to, to to trust you that you're you're going to find the humor of it and that it works better you know with a bit of perspective taking a step back rather than being so obvious so yeah i would say that was the biggest thing that people the initial people that i was pitching immediately went to oh my big fat chinese wedding <laughs> you know so saying well that's not it's it's not that kind of a movie um and you know the thing is too in hollywood everyone wants to do comparisons well what is your movie it's this meets this it's that meets that you know one of my inspirations was force majeure and mike lee's you know secrets and lies and many of his other films you can't really pitch that because people are like, wait, how is your Chinese grandma movie like Force Majeure? <laughs> I, 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 the avalanche wasn't in the uh, in the notes I got. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, I, what happened? You did a radio. You did a radio piece of this. Was it a This American Life? I can't remember. Yes, I did This American Life um, because Neil Drumming uh, is a producer there, and at the time he was about to start at This American Life and came to a film festival because he himself is a filmmaker and saw a short film I had made and asked me a very simple question, which is, I really liked your story, your film, and I really like your voice. What are other stories that you want to tell that Hollywood is not letting you tell? Can you please bring those to me? Mm-hmm. And... It was such a powerful question um, because I think people don't ask it quite often enough. Um, They want to know what's the thing that everyone else wants to make and how Mm -hmm. do I get my hands on that, right? Um, And so I brought the story to Neil and he brought it to This American Life and it got set up very quickly and I went back to the page and wrote it you know, in a completely different way because it's uh, a journalistic show, you know, they do fact checks. And so it wasn't about 
creating the drama. It was about finding the drama within my own experience. And it was a, it, it was really finding those visual set pieces that I'd been dreaming about um, and, and going back to the initial root of why I wanted to tell the story in the first place. And uh, it was just such a wonderful experience and so pure in the storytelling because, you know, I was in front of a microphone like this saying, this is my story and knowing that millions of people were then going to hear it. And I think that I had a little bit of an existential crisis because it was a feeling that I'd never had before. You know, that kind of unfiltered, untainted um, storytelling and direct, you know, which is what I love about live music, which is what I love about the theater experience too, that there's a human in the room and doing a radio show, you feel like you're there in the room with people. Um, so yeah, that's when I sort of thought, why am I making films? You know, there's no space for me here. They, they're never going to let me tell a story this purely. And, um, it takes so much time and money and ultimately maybe reaches less people. And so maybe I should go into radio, public radio. <laughs> the point of view of the main character, and I, I, I think it's also the point of view of the author, you, and, and, and what you're doing with the filmmaking, is this sense of that feeling of being in between, right? Of not... of. Uh, your character, I think, what she left China at six and then suddenly is in New Jersey and just never, and you know, there's part of her heart and her grandmother that feels there. And, and it eventually the film kind of gets into a sense of her childhood not having been uh, particularly ever feeling settled there. Mm -hmm. And it seems as if that's the kind of thing, this journey, journey back to see grandma and stuff, that seems to be at the heart of it. But it also seems to be a sense of where that, in terms of what is unique there's so many things about unique about your voice, but it seems like in terms of me experiencing your film, you really want me to be in this position and feel that sense. And that seems to be guiding a lot of that decisions. Am I wrong about that? No, you're right. I told my team that to me, you know, there are, there's a lot of the film that is experiential, you know, rather than narrative. I want it to, it to be immersive. Um, because I didn't want to explain anything, you know? I didn't want to make an ethnic film where you were explaining cultural differences and being this sort of cultural tour guide in a way. Like, it's not the way I like to travel, and it's not the way I like to experience films. I watch so many foreign films where things aren't explained to me because it's not made for me, you know? And that's okay. I can still completely understand the story and relate to it even if I don't understand the maybe cultural nuances and details and so it was the same I didn't want to um, make the film for everyone in America because I knew I couldn't do that and so it was about making them understand Billy and situating them in Billy's shoes, which I think is the easiest character too. She is our conduit into this world. And as an American, as somebody who doesn't agree with those cultural practices. Um, and so, you know, also I think 
so much of Billy's journey is silent because it's not about you know a, a protagonist who has agency and is trying to do something and I tried to write that version of the script because we're often taught in screenwriting that your protagonist has to be active and have agency and be pursuing some goal that they ultimately achieve or they don't but they've gone on a journey you know I think for Billy her journey is much more internal and it's about not doing and it's about not saying and how do you express that you know on the screen one thing in rewatching it and I didn't pick up on this at all I mean obviously there's a I'll use the word hoax, but there's an element here of the story where it's like, we're not going to tell grandma um, that, that she's dying. And what in rewatching it last night, one thing is that premise in and of itself, you're so drawn and you have these nice widescreen images we're seeing of watching people's reactions. Every it's this element of like seeing how they're like, right. The minute we walk into, she walks into the, that family kitchen in China, we're instantly watching people like watch suddenly their reaction to her and this dread that she's going to have an emotional reaction and then watching her. It's this thing where it's like, it, it becomes a wonderful narrative device to kind of pull us into the screen and almost study reactions. Like we're almost on the edge of our seat on, in terms of people's reactions. And so, I mean, it's the actual story, but it's, you kind of really use that. Yeah. And it's of course exaggerated, you know, those reactions in it's more emotional. It's more how I felt, you know, in reality, people probably weren't standing up at the same time and staring at me, you know, were you, were you that, I don't want to, I'm far more interested in the film than digging into here, but, but were you that person that was like, they were worried about being emotional to this? Not to, not really, you know, like my mother was very worried and I was very worried. Um, Maybe my uncle, you know, because he did give me that little talk. But I'm sure, you know, in reality, it wasn't, it it was more about how I felt because I was scared that I was going to give it up. In your movie, it's a way of externalizing that a little bit. Exactly. You know, because it's like when we're embarrassed, you know, we think everyone in the room is staring at the zit on our face or something. And in reality, no one is. No one really cares because they're more involved with their own feelings. Um, And so, yeah, but that's how I was expressing um, Billy's anxiety that she felt like she was being watched. And it was also a way to express how much she feels like an outsider in her own family, in her own, in her family's culture. What is amazing about this film is how sophisticated and patient you are as a filmmaker. That sense of you've chosen, you know, widescreen now is something that I think everybody just kind of uses and they think, and you are actually using this whole frame and in, 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 in these spaces, um, finding this way of making us look into this, but there's also a patience and almost a, a point of view and almost to some degrees, even sometimes a humor. And then I don't know that that confidence and that sense that you can deliver a rhythm and let something be patient, but it's clearly so clear about how you saw the film. Um, and I think the instinct is, well, you're not a first time feature film, but I think it's make sure I get lots of coverage and make sure I've got this lots and I can do this. And clearly you're allowing yourself to kind of express yourself and see this in these like very patient long frames that have a lot of um, subtle rhythm inside them themselves. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your approach to filming this. 
Yeah, well, first of all, with the wide frame, my DP, Ana Franquesa Solano, we spent a lot of time. That was one of the first decisions we had to make because we initially wanted to shoot it. um, We talked about shooting it on a narrower frame, like a more square frame that's taller uh, because that's what you tend to see family dramas on. And um, and I also found the ceilings in China to be so different. And I thought it would be very interesting to, you know, see the height of these rooms or the lower ceilings, you know, and really feel the claustrophobia. But then we came upon this idea of um, shooting, you know, the family as you would shoot a landscape because that's really what it was, uh, the landscape of a family. And we wanted to portray the family as a unit. And the only way to fit them all on screen as a unit and still be close to their faces um, was to go wider. And so, um, yeah, and then we looked at spherical versus anamorphic. And with anamorphic lenses, it distorts their faces. So we decided to shoot spherical, but then crop. Um so yeah, that was, you know, the first approach. And I think the other thing with the wider frames that was more static is that, you know, really what we're watching is a theater play. Like this family is performing for the sake of Nai Nai. They're performing a wedding. They're performing joy. And so we wanted um, the camera to, uh, the frame to set a stage for them to do their performing on and you don't really want to cut because you kind of want to see them fumble you want to see the shifts the natural shifts of from from laughing to you know losing that smile and being caught in their performance um yeah and I think I don't know those are the types of films I'm drawn to it is um well, I'll say this too, you know, there was, what you know, people are commenting now on how it is so confident, but at the time, I think we were confident because we had to be, we had no time to make this movie. We, we shot the film, all of the China portion was shot in 24 days and we had two days in New York and we have like sometimes what, 13, 14 people in the frame. So also it's like to cover 13 people in the wide and the medium and the close-up, like that would take a lot of time. So we couldn't do the safe version. We had to have one version of the film, you know, the cinematic version, the ambitious version, and we could either do that or we could do coverage. You know, there was no way we could do coverage to and as as a safety net. So we had no safety net. You know, we, we, so we, we came up with the cinematic language and we just went with it because also, you know, once you start shooting it that particular way, how we approached it, you can't get into like day five as a particularly difficult day at the end of the week and go, all right, well today we have no time. So let's just go into coverage. Like it doesn't work. You, you're suddenly in a different movie. And so that was also the difficulty of like really sticking to our guns and being like, we set this language and now we have to stick with it. And there were moments when, you know, we didn't have an idea or we were looking at what we were shooting and we were like, this just doesn't fit, you know, what do we do? And we've got about 40 minutes left in the day before we lose daylight. And you have to think um, on the spot. With the um, caveat that 
to some degrees, all independent films are an act of insanity. How insane was it to, you know, was it, it was the 24 days in China and being an American based filmmaker and going over and doing that. Was that, was that simply just like in terms of the actual mechanics of it, not much different than like, we're going to go to Kentucky and make a movie or was there, was there obstacles in terms of, you know, the pre-production and what it meant to shoot there? Yeah. You know, my, my last film I shot in Berlin and so I've never shot a feature film in the States. So it's hard for me to really compare, you know, and I mean, I've shot a short in the States and I feel like every film just comes with its own set of challenges. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you Did know, you bring your crew with you or did you bring a, your key crew with you or did you? Yeah, I brought my DP and, uh, production designer and obviously my producers, um, and in many ways, the logistics of shooting in China are easier because mm. it fits my personality more. And I realized this while being on set that it's almost an extension of my family and the way I approach life, which is like all hands on deck. Everybody do everything. And like I will ask people for their opinion of a scene, even if they're um, not in the key crew or above the line. Like, you know, a gaffer, I would say, you know, what do you think of that scene? Do you relate? Does that feel like your family? Because, you know, they're approaching it in a in a real way. They're looking at it as a, particularly since they're local. Um, and it was great to just uh, have everyone try to problem solve and they could actually do it. There was no restrictions. And then, of course, you know, I get like in China, it was like we'd be like, oh, that tree's kind of in the way. And then within like seconds somebody would be trying to chop down the tree and we're like no no no, we didn't oh okay it's already gone <laughs> you know and it, you, in a way you almost had to like be careful what you asked for because people were so willing to take care of it and then I get back to the states and I'm like all right let's do this hey can you hand me that thing I'm sorry I can't touch that union rules we can't you know and suddenly you're in a different world so um in some ways it sounds easier it also sounds like it sounds like it really fits what you were trying to you know yeah because sometimes that atmosphere right that atmosphere of um i'm assuming your family's also around and that atmosphere of that that can feed to what happens on screen too and a little bit less of a stop and start it can kind of it can all feel a little bit more organic to what you're doing yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing I never want to lose regardless of where I'm shooting. And I think it can be difficult when there are, you know, restrictions because as a filmmaker, you know, you kind of have to be MacGyver like on set. If it's raining, something, for example, we had this umbrella scene um, that now everyone's like, oh, the umbrella scene. But it wasn't written in the script as an umbrella scene um, originally because uh, there was supposed to be dialogue. They were going to talk to people in the middle while they were lost and then we didn't have time and then it was raining and so the day of we said let's just um do like a Jacques Tati moment you know and get me some umbrellas and um they found you nice pastel umbrellas no they didn't oh they didn't they were trying to they they were like I said pastel they have to be light in color and they would be like well this is red it's kind of close I was like no that's not the concept (laughs) they were like but we went to every vendor and they don't sell pastel umbrellas and I was like but how come people on the streets are walking around with where are they getting them they're like we don't know but that's we went to like you know we got to start so I would run up to people and be like, I'm, I'm so sorry, excuse me, I love your umbrella. Um, can I pay you and trade you for this lovely plaid umbrella? People were like, you know, and so 
I don't know. Like that's how we got the umbrellas. Was like you know me and Anna were running around just stealing them from people off the streets. <laughs> we we're like that little girl. She seems sweet. Can you see if you can steal it from that little girl? I don't know, but that's like the spirit that went into mm-hmm. making the film, and and it's also what I enjoy. It's totally crazy. This sounds so trivial, but I I have to ask, where's your grandma during this whole time? During this movie, because I, I I just watching what I little I know about your family from watching that movie, I assume she's there, like she's like around, right? She was around, yeah. We shot in her neighborhood. Um, on the very first day, she came down to set in her wheelchair. Um, and I wrote a seg like a little mini segue. The camera department brought me, and and uh, and so we were like chasing each other. Yeah, so she was around, and uh, we were very careful. But what I realized is most of the scenes were fine because nobody was talking about the thing they weren't supposed to be talking about. <laughs> so, you know, she was just there watching people eat and <laughs> and not say something. Um, but you don't really know that, right? Unless you see it in the edit with the music and everything. So, but yeah, so it was totally fine. Also, filmmaking is so slow. You just yeah. see, it's just like her. She would be there for a little while and then she would get bored and leave. It gets so boring after a while. Yeah. <laughs> so we're sitting around. Um, and I, I, once again, I, I usually don't get into this, but I am so curious. I mean, she eventually saw the movie, right? No. She still hasn't seen the movie. She huh? still doesn't know. She still doesn't know. And she still has not seen the movie. And the movie's coming out in China. November 22nd, I believe. Um, so, you know, I've tried to talk to my family about it. And um, my parents are sort of feeling like maybe we should tell her so she can see the movie since it's coming out all over the world now. And everyone knows but her, <laughs> literally. Uh, but my great aunt, little Nine Nai. Who's in the movie, right? Yeah. Yep. Little yeah. Nine is in the movie. And she was the one who started the lie. And mm-hmm. she lives upstairs of my grandma. Um, both she and my uncle don't agree and don't want to tell her. So we can't send her the movie poster. Um, I ask this because your movie, the movie that you're making, yeah. comes to a very uh, powerful end. I love the end. It's this nice, it, it, especially for the Aquafina character, it's this wonderful this wonderful moment that kind of comes full circle. Um, I'm curious because then that it has such an emotional note. You then have the reality that six and a half years later, you know, that ending is independent of what happened after the movie. Right. So there's that decision of what, how... It's this wonderful thing. It's this well, that she's still with us, but it's it's also a different note from how you have that movie. And I noticed when watching it again last night, you got a little chunk of black there to mm-hmm. let that moment have a breath and have a moment. But I have to imagine, or maybe I'm completely wrong about that. That's a uh, before the movie premieres at Sundance. How, how are you? Was that a tough decision of figuring out for the audience if we're going to tell that you know this wonderful thing that your grandmother? Uh, didn't die, which is, I think, probably what you think when you hit that black. Yeah, I mean, originally there was a lot of pressure to put that moment in the script, you know, that the ending of the actual movie itself was her outliving her prognosis. But that's not what the film is about for me, you know, because then you're basically telling this entire story to say, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, if, if she didn't live, then there's no reason to tell the story. So I fought to keep that out of the movie itself. Um, And then we were debating, like, you know, how to do that reveal, if to do the reveal. Um, And I think, you know, ultimately it was um, 
there was also the discussion of do we show some real footage and and I wanted I said I only want to do that if it's meaningful I don't want to do it just to be like look at the real person look Mm -hmm. at the fake person you know which sometimes movies do and I I don't like that so um this felt like a way of reminding people one that it was a real story Mm. um and uh because you know it's been a while since the beginning where it says based on a true lie and and you know not everybody maybe knows that this is real this lie was real um and also that you know the point of the movie is not whether she lives or dies right 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 it's, it's, that's the thing is it's that that moment that Aquafina character has exactly it's about carrying on the spirit you know and every time I go to China I there's a farewell you know of this kind and that's been for the last 20 years because you you know my grandma's ever since she was 60 was like I'm getting older mm-hmm. you know and and it's just realizing that your time is limited and when you live so far away that that's what happened with my grandfather you know I didn't think it was goodbye forever and then I left and then he died Mm -hmm. and I never saw him again and so what I wanted to say was that the 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 power of the farewell um is bigger than that literal like does she die and I didn't want the audience to take it that literally Mm -hmm. and so um you know, and having that real moment of six years later, then it becomes, well, what happens, you know, on DVD and in three, four years. And also at the time, it was before Sundance, where, you know, her health was up and down. And I said, oh, my God, it's going to break my heart if the film, like, gets released and she's not and we have to change. And so it was a, a but, you know, so we just put the years we said into at least as of 2019, you know, it's been six years. She's still with us. I think I was the first audience and that first audience that saw it and it blew me away. And then I was like, oh, this is a fantastic film. And I was thinking about, well, that's I was like, what's going to happen when they release the film? And of course it, everybody has the same experience, you know, but it was like, cause I, I thought it was like, it's not a spoiler, but, um, Katie texted, we have to finish up. Um, just so, ignore. Just, uh, ignore. just ignore, Hey, like but like you, I might have future business with A twenty four, so I don't want. To. <laughs> no, they're fine. They're fine. Um, no, uh, the um, do you know what you're doing next? And I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit. If you have specific projects, but I'm also just wondering. You know, this is such a autobiographical story, and it's um, something that's really captured. But really, I'm just curious what what types of films you're thinking about. You know, and 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 where you see yourself going from here. And if you do have specific projects, of course, we're interested. Yeah, I mean, the one that's been announced is a film that's based on a short story from an anthology called Children of the New World, and I'm doing the title story. And um, that's sci-fi, you know, it it, it deals with VR and things like that. But I think that I don't approach, it's exciting because it's a different genre, and and it is for me, like, how do I approach that genre? How has it been approached in the past, and how do I approach that genre? Um, and I like to joke that it, it's it's a mundane sci-fi, mm. you know, because sci-fi tends to be epic, as if like the future is always very epic mm. and, and and dystopian and dramatic. And I'm like, but people still get up in the morning, and they're still gonna have to go to the bathroom, and they're still gonna fall in love and get their heart broken. Why not tell stories like that within the sci-fi space, you know? Mm. Um, and our relationship to each other with the increasing developments of technology 
you know what does that say um so yeah I think that I'll always approach no matter what I work on um it's about the human condition it's about relationships um I was I watched two popes recently I haven't seen that yet Um, it looks fantastic absolutely loved it and um there's a, a a quote from Pope Francis um where he says truth is vital but without love it is unbearable and it really hit me because that's what the farewell is about you know that it's about love and we sometimes are so adamant on truth and freedom and independence in the in in such a but it's abstract you know as a human you can't deal with these ideas if there's not love and so um yeah, that's what I'm looking for is the love in my stories. Well, we're looking forward to that. And uh, this is a wonderful film. Um, so thanks for coming in and talk about it. Thank you for talking to me. <laughs>